He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Podcasting Network and the Podcasting Empire that holds in this group of people on the line tonight. Of course, if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always on the Two Man Power Trip, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And for 37 weeks on the Triple Threat Podcast, our co-host has joined us through thick and through thin. He is the one and only. Franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to episode number 37. You know, 39 years in the business, I didn't think I aged that much, but 37 episodes of this, I think I have, but a labor of love because I really enjoy the stuff we talk about. And I think we had a chance to really put a unique perspective on things that many in the, in the, in the quote unquote real world with the fake news mainstream media may not get. And, and I challenge anybody listening to the show, to anything we talk about on the show, please feel free to Google it and verify or try to detract from anything we say on this, certainly what I say on the show. Uh, and you may just end up educating yourself a little bit in the process. It's exactly right. And that's because I want to just kind of take a, a brief minute here just to remind everybody what kind of show you're listening to here. Of course, with the two-minute power trip, Every single week on our show, we bring to you, you know, long-form, hard-hitting, very informative wrestling interviews. We're not like every other podcast where we cover, you know, so-and-so happened on Raw, this happened here, this happened there, yada, yada, yada. We literally get a new guest on our show every week and have different content. But with this show, the object of this show is to not only kind of educate you on the life and career of Shane Douglas, but also other things going on outside of professional wrestling. And if you've been with us for 37 weeks, you know we've handled tragedies. We've handled a lot of kind of, you know, the the quirky side of uh, the, quote, fake news. Uh, And each week we kind of evolved this thing into something that's growing very, very slowly, uh, but growing very, very large. And I'm very happy to announce that on our YouTube page, we've just surpassed 900,000-plus views, and we have 100 of the 
Triple Threat podcast videos on that YouTube page. So, Shane, just kind of showing you the reach of what this show has done. We're almost like, in a way, kind of like ECW, where that little engine that could, but in 37 weeks, I think we've really covered a lot of ground. Well, I think they call it like the tortoise and the hare, right? You can you can be the fastest between the two, or you can be the, the little engine that could that keeps on chugging along. Look, the one thing I'm impressed with is the feedback that I get from the fans on Twitter. Uh, it's very uh, painfully obvious that they get it, that they're getting the information. I don't care about the 7 billion people on the planet. I care about the people listening to the podcast, that they're getting the information, they're dissecting it, they're ingesting it, they're understanding it, and they're getting to the point where they're beginning to open their eyes. I remember what happened for me in college when my professors pointed out to me certain things you start realizing that maybe everything isn't exactly like we're being told it is, that maybe it's something different. So to hear those numbers to me is impressive. And as it continues to grow and continues to reach more people, for instance, this week, uh, since we've started the podcast, my Twitter is up uh, somewhere in the like 70, 75% range. So clearly people are following and paying attention and listening. Uh, we, I have yet to get any negative feedback on Twitter. The fans that are, that are interacting are coming back with all positive reviews. And for me, that's a great sign. Uh, the teacher in me, not the Dean Douglas in me, the teacher in me that taught for seven years in public schools is smiling ear to ear because even though I'm not still in the classroom, I am, am sort of in a, 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 uh, a classroom of sorts and, and being able to, uh, I don't know if you guys can hear it. My son is beeping in right now, but I'm going to have to k him for a few minutes. But uh, uh, I, I'm still being able to educate in some respect. And so for that, for the fans that continue to follow, keep spreading the word, keep sending them back here to the podcast because uh, we're doing something different here. You know, with wrestling, there's always the sort of tongue-in-cheek aspect to it. But when we talk about the things that we talk about on this podcast, it's as serious as can be. And I challenge anybody to what they're listening to, to say that they find fault or something erroneous in what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, I get to listen to podcasts every so often. I don't get get to listen to a lot of them, uh, only because there's a lot of wrestling ones out there. And there are some wrestlers that use elements of outside of wrestling content uh but nobody does it like us and and whereas we might not have the most fancy equipment we might not have uh, a big company backing us uh, i gotta tell you just even from our show and how it's evolved it's two-man power trip and i know john who i'm going to get to you here in a minute you can kind of agree with the sentiment uh it's the content that matters it's the reach that you have and i really don't care about the people who aren't listening to the shows both of them. Uh, I care about who is. And yeah, like you said, Shane, it's, it's kind of hard when you don't find any negative feedback about a show. I mean, we've been accused of being in bed with different companies on uh, Two Man Power Trip and driving a certain narrative. But uh, besides <laughs> that, you know, I can't say this show has ever uh, not reached an expectation every week. It's uh, something I look forward to. We get to talk about things outside the box. And even though we do cover current wrestling, I, it just makes me realize how much I hate that. So, uh, you know, we, I digress and we move forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep plodding forward. That's the name of the game in, any, in life and in this. But, you know, I've, I, like I said, I've been impressed with all we've done in the 37 weeks we've been at this. We've, we've hammered a lot of topics. 
and let's face it, on a day-to-day basis in this hyper-news atmosphere that we exist in today, uh, we're able to hit, I think, the important topics that the average American sitting at home that may not have the breadth of knowledge like I have because of my experience in college and and beyond, uh, to try to give them a little bit better perspective about what's up and what's down, what's black and what's white out there. And if you disagree, don't tune in. If you do, spread the word and keep tuning in because clearly there's a, there's a divergence in the information that's being given out there. When you turn on CNN and Fox and you see a completely, one says black and one says white. When you turn on uh, uh, NBC and uh, or uh, PMSNBC, like I call it, or CBS and you see one says black and one says gray. They can't be all things. I always tell my students when I'm teaching, it can't be all things. If one entity tells you up and one entity tells you down, clearly one of them is wrong. Something cannot be both things. And so it's, it's incumbent on you as the listener, the viewer, the researcher to define which one is right, which one is wrong, which one's correct, and which one's incorrect. And I'm proud to say that it seems to me that the people that listen to the podcast, by the feedback I get on my Twitter page and Facebook page, and for the handful of people that know me personally and contact me through text or uh, uh, email, they're getting it, that they're beginning to understand and open their eyes and see that maybe it's not as black as I've been told by some of these other fake news outlets that maybe there's something more to it. And again, I urge everybody listening, everybody paying attention to Google, do your research and find out if we're telling you a lie or if if we're the black or if we're the white, because I stand behind everything we've said in this podcast from episode one through episode 36 and now episode 37 uh, and continuing forward. I stand behind everything we've said, and I'm proud of that fact. I doubt that you'll see that on a lot of the fake news outlets. I doubt you'll see the PMSNBCs of the world or the CNNs of the world say to you, when you're done watching, go research what we're telling you and see if what we're telling you is correct, because they know what they're telling you is incorrect. And that's what makes it the absolute worst, that they know on the outset what they're telling you is bullshit. Me, I'll tell you from the outset, challenge me like somebody did on Facebook today. And I responded and I heard crickets after that. Uh, <laughs> challenge, I, challenge me. I'll challenge you back. It's not a, it's not a, a fight or an argument or a fuck you, fuck you. It is. If you don't believe challenge me, I'll send you additional information if you if you agree, then then we go our separate ways, and maybe you've learned a little bit. If I'm wrong, maybe I learn a little bit and and move beyond that. But understand that, as you guys both know, before I talk about any of this stuff on air, I research it in depth. Uh, this isn't something I do off the cuff or or, or wing it as I go. Uh, but that said, I'm proud of what we've done here in 36 weeks and. Looking forward to episode 37. 
I know he's been wiped from history, but like Bill Cosby said, that if you stick around, you may just learn something uh, on the great uh, Fat Albert show. But I got to welcome you John here for a second. Uh, I love that line. That's one of my favorite lines ever. But, John, I got to get you in here because, obviously, we talked about a lot of wrestling, a lot of fake news. Uh, through 36 weeks, John, is wrestling fake or is news fake? I have a feeling that news is more fake than wrestling ever could be. And I say that because <laughs> not only you know has Shane kind of enlightened us and opened our eyes to a lot of the fake news, but I feel like, you know, the injuries are real in wrestling. A lot of the guys are real. A lot of the things you see on TV can come as real. The guys are more real. What you see on the news can totally be fake, totally be put towards a political agenda. And I feel like, Shane, you kind of enlightened us and opened my eyes to uh, so much fake news, as has the president, Donald Trump. Well, JB, uh, thank you for saying that. But uh, honestly, I, I was the same way when I was uh, – a young man, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I would turn on the news, whether it was CNN or the local two, four, eleven, the CBS, ABC, NBC affiliates, and then later Fox. Uh, I took the information that I saw in a ten or fifteen second or ten or fifteen minute segment, and thought, well, that's the news. That's they wouldn't lie to me. And then as I got older, I began to realize there's a shitload of liars in the world. And everybody has an agenda. When I first broke and I had Dominic Danucci with me this past weekend, and I know we're going to talk about this a bit later, but uh, in Batavia, New York, and I can't tell you how many people came to the table to see him, excited to see this, this real legend. Like I said, we throw the word legend and icon around too much in the business and too freely. Dominic Danucci is the real deal. I mean, this is a guy who's been there and done it for, 50 plus years, if not more, uh, just a tremendous guy. But, you know, what we kept hearing from the fans over and over again was, you know, something along the lines of, well, I, I, I used to think this, but, and then fill in the blank. Uh, and to me, it was a, a confirmation of what we're doing here on the podcast. You know, we don't have, the billion multi-billion dollars it would take to compete against any of those fake news outlets. Uh, but what we do have is the truth. And if we hit a hundred people tonight that listen to it and get some aspect of the truth, that's a hundred people more than yesterday. And it has to start someplace because we're not the only ones out there doing this. And this is the thing about the internet. People have always heard my criticisms of the internet that, Johnny or Susie in mommy's basement can put out an opinion and it carries some level of weight, especially if you don't like Shane Douglas, then whatever Shane, if Shane Douglas has black and little Susie or Johnny in mommy's basement here, it's white. They say, well, it's white because I hate Shane. He's an asshole. Um, but when you take the time to read that, that's the valid, validating factor. When you take the time to research it, and dig into it. Not just you go to the website you always go to and, aha, there's my validation. I found it. Dig. Like I tell my kids, dig, then dig, then dig some more and find the truth because you'll get a compendium of ideas and a compendium across the spectrum of ideas. And once you do, you can then begin to discern a little bit better anyway, what's up and down. 
like I said before, at the top of the show, I, I stand behind everything we've said on this show and continue to do so, knowing that we've done the valid amount of research. JP, I know you do your share in the show. Chad, I know you do your share going to the show. And I know do, for damn sure I do my share coming into the show off the show itinerary that you send out each week. So it is what it is. I mean, we're in a world right now where information is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. But I would caution everybody out there to think not all information is equal. And take your time to do your research like I tell my children to do, for whether it's a homework assignment or something they saw on television or something like my like my youngest son got in trouble the last uh, uh, last fall because he argued with a teacher who tried to say that Donald Trump was anti-Second Amendment. And he got in trouble in school, but I went to bat for him because I knew that what he was saying was correct and what the teacher was saying was incorrect. So think about the last time you were in fifth grade that you were right, the teacher was wrong. That's the world we live in today. And so take your time to do your research. Don't just jump to a conclusion because somebody on Fox or CNN or PMSNBC told you it's so. Do your research. Take the extra five or 10 or 20 minutes to do your research to validate it so you know whether that person is telling you the truth or not. And when you get to the point where you come to finding out that they're not telling you the truth, then scratch that particular entity off as fake news and find somebody else. And, and the reason I just want to clarify here that I use the word fake uh, very, very strategically is because we're going to cover a couple different realms of that. One, we're going to talk about crisis actors and how much crisis actors have been in the news or the fake news or whatever the news is over the last week. But as well as I want to cover back to what we were talking about a little bit last week, and it's a rare time where we talk about something that happened on our show, but we had on Dr. D. David Schultz, whose new book is called Don't Call Me Fake. Obviously, we know why it was called Don't Call Me Fake. So it's kind of funny <laughs> that the word fake is, is like the, uh, it's the overhanging fruit for tonight's episode because there's a lot, a lot to cover on both of those uh, sides of the, uh, the spectrum, the news and the wrestling side. But before we get into all this, and this is something that I sent Shane, I sent you an email over the weekend, and I forwarded it to John. Uh, we're not going to cover this today, but I just want to get this out there because a lot of shows are talking about it, and I definitely want to just kind of get the basis out there. But it has to do with a very, very old uh, murder that happened, uh, what was it, 30-plus years ago um, in Arkansas uh, that apparently former wrestling legend superstar Billy Jack Haynes was a witness to. It's called The Boys on the Track. Now, there's a lot of ins and outs of the story. Shane, I send it to you. You apparently, I don't think you said you even knew about it, uh, but it's been kind of trickling into the wrestling news because of Billy Jack Haynes involved. But just in what you were able to see so far, Shane, what do you kind of think of this story uh, as it's kind of, you know, developing that after 30 years they think they have a break in the case because Billy Jack has come forward with this absolutely uh, crazy admission that he witnessed these two young boys being murdered by supposed hitmen of uh, a very powerful family in Arkansas government. Yeah, well, like I said, when you sent it to me, I, I was had been totally unaware of it and, and, and thought at first it, it bore some 
key markings of fake news. You know, you start to take, but then you see the the uh, video that Billy Jack Keynes posted online pertaining to this. That got me digging into more of the links. You know, is there something here, or is it just bullshit? And you know, like I just said a minute ago about doing your research. Uh, this took me several hours to dig through these links that you had sent me. And then, you know, in each link, there were multiple links that were attached to each of those articles. It took me several hours to start just to begin to dig through it. Uh, but the story is that there were these two young men killed, what was it, 35 years ago? I mean, a long time ago. It was, uh, in it was 1987. 1987, so a good while ago, and that this these murders had sort of taken on mythical proportions. I'd never heard of them before, and yet uh, there, there's a story that, uh, according to local news reports, has taken on mythical proportions in, in the Arkansas area of the the, the 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 murders on the railroad tracks were. The two the two boys murdered on the on the railroad on the train tracks. Uh, it, it just you know, and that sort of keeps lurking you in deeper and deeper. Um, Billy Jack Haynes's uh, uh, video states that he was, after having been addicted to pain meds for quite some time, became uh, the muscle, as he terms it the muscle for uh, uh, drug entities in the area. And, you know, I want to say up front, just so everybody gets a a feel for for where I'm going with this, I know Billy Jack Haynes only in the sense to say hello to him, uh, have seen him in the dressing rooms here and there. Our paths hadn't crossed that much in wrestling. But he, uh, in watching the video of him talking about these murders, claiming that he witnessed these murders and that he had gone to local authorities and local private investigators working with the families and gave them names, substantial names. Uh, I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the in the article it says he names lawyers and several high ranking people. Uh, And then he talks about this criminal entity, this criminal family entity in Arkansas politics. Uh, It, it, when you read through the article, it really sort of takes on life of its own naming Barry seal, who was the subject of a recent movie uh, played by Tom Cruise. And, you know, this sort of story meanders around, but then at first it sounds like total bullshit, but then you sort of scratch below the surface and you get to where uh, he talks about, uh, like with Barry Seal, for instance, he talks about how he was involved and knew that certain things were going on in uh, private airfields and uh, how there was uh, the interaction of a plane. There's, like I said to you in the email that I responded to, there's so much 
countervailing information that this would take you weeks and weeks to dig through. But in the day that I had less than that, really 12 or 14 hours tops to really dig through this, there are so many many countervailing uh, pieces of information that the, the first thing that jumped out at me was, is, is uh, Billy Jack just repeating information that he heard from this recent movie about Barry Seal uh, and other, you know, other things that over the years have been in the news as whether a conspiracy theory or whatever. But then you, you dig below that a little bit and you keep going and you begin to find pieces of information of the investigation about how the authorities after the one gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment uh, had filed for a uh, uh, an insurance claim on a plane that went missing that out of Oklahoma, I believe. And he the owner of the plane claimed that he was part of the Oliver North conspiracy to send arms to Central America against the uh, uh, Sandinistas in, in, in uh, uh, Nicaragua. Like I said, this gets so convoluted, like I'm trying to like dig the information out of my <laughs> brain. But he files this insurance claim, is paid off on the insurance claim, and then years later, uh, a cop or somebody in law enforcement is driving by and claims that a gust of wind blows the door open. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I thought, this sounds like Dorothy from Wizard of Oz and s- s- claims that he saw a plane that turned out to be the missing plane that the, the original insurance claim was filed against. And it starts to take on all the feelings of a counterintelligence operation when all these pieces are in place it's such a coincidence that you have to begin to ask yourself is this just insanity bullshit or does billy jack know something more and i will say this up front in the fairness of uh, of uh, uh, all the information out there that the inside, the information I always heard in the business about Billy Jack was that Billy Jack tended to be a bullshitter. But in digging through these stories and these links, several pieces of this information begin to jump out as involving the Bushes and the Clintons, the, the, the high political-powered Arkansas family, does that make it true? No. It, it, it makes it something worth digging into and looking at and asking questions that heretofore other people may not have asked. Uh, but the links that you sent me, and I'll, I'll try to post them on Twitter and my Facebook accounts tomorrow, but they and you'll see as you if anybody takes the time to dig into these articles you'll see that there's several links attached to each of these stories and each of these articles that take some time to dig through and and sort of discern through um 
the question I came up with at the end of reading all of the articles and all the links that I clicked on was what would Billy Jack Haynes have to gain by going public at this time? Uh, it's not like he's written a book. It's not like he's written a movie and trying to sell a movie to some studio. What would he have to gain? And what gets lost in the midst of all that is that some 30, 35 years ago, there were two young boys, young men that were murdered. And in that murder, the, uh, the local, uh, uh, investigator involved in the deaths said that they were killed by a passing train. They must've smoked some pot and fell asleep on the tracks and got killed by the train that came along. Subsequent, uh, autopsy showed that that was not the case and yet nothing more came of that. And according to the article that I read, this gentleman was later assigned a higher up position in the government by Bill Clinton. Now, if that's the case, I, again, I didn't have time to verify and validate the information, but if that's the case, then that certainly raises enough questions that then when you look at the Billy Jack Haynes video, to ask yourself, is there something more here? And put it this way, there was enough information in there to certainly pique my interest and warrant further investigation. Like I said to everybody, I'll I'll post those tomorrow on my Twitter and Facebook accounts. Uh, Take your time to do your own research. Uh, And what's the the key phrase that you – What's the name of the uh, email that you sent me, uh, Chad? Uh, what did I call that one? I don't remember. But did I say Boys on the Tracks? Is that what I said? Boys, Boys on the Tracks, yeah. Billy Jack Haynes yeah. and Boys on the Tracks. And I'm sure your own uh, links will come up, if not the same links. But Pro- Yeah, probably the take same. The, Boys on the Tracks. Yeah, take the time to do some research and ask yourself some questions. And as an undercurrent all of that, don't accept what the mainstream media is offering you, what the fake news is offering you as the information. Dig into it yourself and forge your own opinions. Uh, but the information is there. And I, like I said, my takeaway from it was I kept coming back to what would Billy Jack Haynes have to gain by going public with his information? And I, I couldn't come up with a an answer that would warrant him doing that if there was not some validity to it. So again, t- take your time, do your own research. I, I would love to hear the fan, the, the followers and the listeners feedback as to what their perception is of those particular links. Now, I'm not going to say Billy Jack Haynes is lying or is crazy or, or anything like that, but when you look at the dates that he worked, he was in the WWF in, in 1987 working for Vince. Yeah. He was in Detroit two days earlier before the, you know, the death. He was in Detroit, and then about four or five days later, he was in Utah wrestling for Vince. So, I mean, he need, there might even be some dates that where he wrestled in, in between that week where it wasn't really specified or maybe somebody didn't have those dates or whatever. But it just almost doesn't work out with the dates because he's in Detroit, then he's in Utah, then all of a sudden he's all the way in Arkansas. 
is there any possible way? I'm just not saying that he's making it up. Is there any possible way he might just be a little crazy? Uh, absolutely. Uh, like I said, the, the information I always heard on Billy from several people who knew him, names shall remain unnamed, was that Billy was a bit of a bullshitter. But uh, if you go back to, and this just happened today on my Twitter account, uh, uh, the stud buffin, Joel Gertner, somebody asked a question, and Joel Gertner fed back a, a screenshot of that particular show that this person was asking about. And I'm sure if you went back, all this information is now archived as best I know that if you go back and say, well, okay, well, Billy Jack Haynes was in Detroit on this date and in Utah on this date, was there enough time for him to be in Arkansas at the place of these deaths? And if not, then you pretty much know Billy Jack's bullshitting. Uh, I, I haven't had the time to do that research yet, but uh, uh, again, I go back. I can't in a million different ways. I try to look at this. I, I can't try to figure out other than just give me some attention. And if that's the case, then he truly is more insane than, than, than I heard he was uh, as a bullshitter. But if, 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 the, the the schedule proves that he was someplace else on those particular dates, then we know the answer. But if there's a gap there, then it just creates another question mark that should pique your interest as a researcher, if you're really interested in the truth, to dig further to find out what more may have happened. And you know, this this is how research is done. This is what nobody likes to hear, but there's no button you can push and say is Billy Jack telling us the truth or is he lying? If it were that easy, everybody would be a researcher. Uh, but this is, you know, I know like uh, based on what I saw with Joel Gertner and last week, somebody else had, had asked a question and another fan had responded with a very detailed list of, well, so-and-so was wrestling in this town at this time and he wrestled so-and-so. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing there's ample information out there to dig into to find out, was there a space big enough for Billy Jack to have been between those two places? And then the, the next question would be was, is there confirmation that Billy was in both of those places? So if it says Shane Douglas was booked to wrestle in Pittsburgh tonight and in Los Angeles two days from now, did that would that give Shane Douglas enough time to be from point A to point B in between and point C being Los Angeles in between? That would be the question. Uh, again, I didn't have time to dig into it that deeply, but I was intrigued by what Chad had sent uh, with those links because I had been completely unaware of anything about this story until Chad sent it. And once I, my first thought when I first got it was this this is bullshit because I never heard anything about this. And then I started digging in and reading it, you know, with one eyebrow raised and okay, this is going to be garbage. But then as I kept clicking on more and more links and taking me to other places with validating, validating information from local media uh, at the time of the murders. And since then it really begs the question again, back to what I said, what does Billy Jack have to gain from this other than 
trying to put notoriety on himself. Completely possible. But me personally, I wouldn't put my name in the middle of a murder investigation, uh, especially one naming the Clintons, where people have a habit of dying in the midst of being involved with them. Um, I would be very careful doing that. So I don't know. It, it seems strange to me on the surface, but in the few hours that I spent yesterday digging into this and over the weekend, uh, it certainly seems strange to see, say the least. And that's why I want to take, I just wanted to take this time to kind of get an overview of the story because people are talking about it. And since we all did look into it this week, I wanted to at least bring it up. So maybe at some point we can kind of dial back and really dedicate a huge stretch of time to kind of looking at each thing and doing almost like a uh, independent triple threat podcast investigation uh, covers both sides of the track. I hate to use that pun, but it covers, you know, wrestling, it covers investigating, it covers uh, conspiracy theories, it covers a lot of stuff that I feel like we do a really good job with, uh, with doing that. So we'll circle back to it, folks. I just wanted to get a little bit out there uh, about it. So we're going to turn a little bit more serious now, and I, I want to get, or as Lance Storm would say, if I could be serious for a moment, uh, I kind of <laughs> want to turn the attention. <laughs> there you go. There's a little Lance Storm nod for the week. But we got to get into a little world news. And uh, obviously, you know, the, the Florida shooting that happened, we covered last week. Uh, some th- things were coming out about it. Obviously, a little more details about their responding uh, came out. And uh, the Broward County Sheriff's Office, uh, Deputy Scott Peterson, had resigned slash retired after the Broward County Sheriff suspended him after it was discovered that he did not enter the building to engage the shooter. So that, if you watch that press conference, uh, Shane, I'm sure you, you took a gander at it. The yes. way the, the sheriff went through the the full review of how he the the deputy did not go in, it to me it, yeah. it, it gave me chills. It was chilling to to hear the way he yes. said it. Um, what do you what do you I mean the the president's labeled the coward, labeled him a coward. The sheriff is labeled him a coward. He's obviously uh, public enemy numero uno right now, but. Um, it was just shocking, and it was a bone-chilling press conference, to say the least, when he revealed that info. No doubt about it. I mean, any of us that are parents can imagine our children being in that building and then listening to or reading those accounts. Uh, it's nauseating. Um, you know, I, uh, President Trump had a, uh, a, a meeting today of the governors of the, of the country, and there were a lot of great ideas that were bandied about. And the thing you keep going back to is when you look at the missed opportunities leading into this horrific event, uh, the, not only the FBI, we, you know, we've all heard those, missed, oppor- missed some incredible opportunities uh, that it it boggles the mind to think how they could possibly have missed those opportunities. It would be tantamount to right now somebody saying, Shane Douglas said on his podcast, he's going to go to the local shopping center and shoot the shopping center up. And nobody, the FBI included, following up on that. And then the shooting taking place. Uh, that's how ridiculous this was at the FBI. It reaches the point that I have to ask the question, 
and I know I'm going to take a lot of flack for this, but how could the FBI have missed this? Is it possible that they wanted it to happen? Because it's so egregious, so far over the line. It's not like somebody saying, hey, somebody has a gun and they said they don't like Chad. Uh, There was specific information, including from Cruz's cousin himself calling the local FBI uh, branch in Miami, and still nobody followed up. If that that was just a mess up, it's a mess up of epic, epic proportions that you'd have to be a fucking moron to miss. And then with the deputies, it turns out the initial report, and I always tell people, wait, because more information is going to come. The initial report was that this one deputy did not engage, did not go in. And within 48 hours, we begin to find out that there were more than one. There were multiple, at least a minimum of five Broward County deputies that refused to engage and go in. And I I can't begin to think about how nauseating this must be to parents in that school, especially to parents that lost children. Would your child still be here if any of those five deputies had gone in? And the answer may be no, they may still be gone. But my guess, my educated guess, is that had five armed Broward County deputies, sheriff's deputies, gone into that school with weapons drawn and prepared to engage the shooter, that at least some of them could have been saved. I don't know. None of us can play God at this point, and none of us were there. But when you hear this story that five FBI, I'm sorry, five Broward County Sheriff's Department's deputies did not engage did not enter the school. And then you find out that the FBI had multiple warnings, at least two and possibly more, of very specific information, including from the shooter's cousin, saying that he was loaded, he had weapons, and was talking about shooting up a school, and they did not engage. Somebody, remember I mentioned earlier about Facebook, Somebody engaged whenever I mentioned about Ray and Israel resigning. Ray being the head of the FBI and Israel being the Broward County Sheriff's de- uh, uh, Sheriff. And they said, well, Ray's only been in office this long and he shouldn't be held accountable. He ought to be left to clean it up. And I, I went back before I engaged and before I answered, I went back and looked and found that uh FBI Director Ray was sworn in in July of 2017. The latest that we know of uh, warning came in September, some two and a half months later after he was sworn in. And my contention, as in Facebook today, was a real leader would recognize him, his or her, or their organization's failure and would step down. And yet we've heard nothing from FBI Director Ray and uh, uh, Sheriff Israel's take to this point is he's not stepping down. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm missing something here. 
because it's like saying, Chad, you're involved in running an organization that oversees the safety of a certain population. And that population endured this horrific event last week in Florida. But you think that you shouldn't have to step down because of whatever extenuating circumstances. This is a failure of epic proportions of leadership in the FBI, in the Broward County Sheriff's Department, and any other law enforcement agency that had access to this information, including the NSA. Because remember, the NSA sucks up every phone call, every email, every online piece of information. And yet somehow they missed this piece of information and we have 17 dead children over it. That doesn't sit well with me. As a father with two kids, 12 and 16, in public schools, and as somebody who understands how government operates, this does not sit well with me. Foray and Sheriff Israel, you should step down today for the benefit of the government and the agency that you oversee and to try to help the healing in this community in Florida. Enough of this. Show some leadership quality. I mean, and yeah, and Sheriff Israel, like you said, he suspended other deputies. Um, obviously, uh, Peterson was the first one that we really knew about. And, you know, although, like I said, that was a very chilling press conference, you know, you got to be held accountable for your men. Um, no doubt. And whether or not he should step forward and be held accountable. I mean, that's what you would think, you know, a, a general would do. You know what I mean? He would step forward and, and be the one. Who a takes, good one. Hey, right, right. He, a good he one. Heat. Yeah. Because obviously there's either some kind of lackadaisical training protocol, uh, there's some kind of uh, misnomer right. in the communication process between their people, uh, but he just can't go unscathed. And I think what they're trying to do in terms of the media is they're trying to, and this is just my personal point of view, is we're kind of trying to weigh him up about uh, almost like how the guy from uh, Vegas handled everything. And whereas he was right there in the front and he, he handled a lot of bullshit that was handed his way by uh, the, the different conspiracy theories and the people who were throwing uh, information that wasn't released, wasn't released, blah, 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 blah. I think now that we're trying to put these guys on a uh, pedestal uh, and overlooking the fact that there's some kind of problem in their protocol that as the head, as the chief or the, the, the sheriff, he's got to be held accountable for his actions. Well, look, I, I mean, you know where you work. We've all worked in institutions. The culture comes from the top down. So if Shane Douglas is running Organization A today, and I, you would think, instill my culture, my philosophies on that organization over the tutelage, uh, over uh, under my tutelage during the time of my tutelage. And if Sheriff Israel had done the same, and I'm sure he did, then we now have at least five sheriff's deputies who failed to engage to try to save children at the Parkland High School. Uh, so uh, the Marjorie Stoneham High School in Parkland, Florida. And so if that's the case, then that shows you that there was clearly a either a miscommunication or a failure of leadership somewhere along the line. The bottom line gets back to the same thing. It's a failure of leadership somewhere along the line if that number of deputies failed to engage. 
And so all the press conferences in the world, all the finger pointing in the, wor- uh, in the world in the other direction doesn't detract from the fact that your agency that you oversaw, that your philosophies fed the culture of, is, is somehow not complicit in your version of events. And do I blame Sheriff Israel? For? Absolutely not. This isn't about finger pointing. But it is about leadership. If in leadership you're deciding to go and point the finger and somehow trying to deflect, then at some point you have to step into the spotlight and say, here's my misgivings or here's my version of leadership. I think we haven't, my guess is, and my view from what I'm seeing, we have not seen that from Sheriff Israel. We have not seen that from Christopher Ray at the FBI. I grant you that in Ray's case, he had just taken over the FBI some short period before. But when we're dealing with children's lives in a school building, as parents, we can all understand this, that it doesn't matter if you took over yesterday or two or three months ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. You're complicit. It's your agency. And when you step into that spotlight and you want all the adulation that comes with that spotlight, also comes the criticism. And I have yet to hear Christopher Ray at the FBI or Sheriff Israel take any kind of criticism for what they've done. All I've seen and heard so far is finger pointing. To me, 17 dead children warrant a little bit better than that from quote-unquote leaders. And so for Ray and, and, and Israel and for the community, both of them should step down and allow the, 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 the torch to be passed and hopefully set a better culture in both of those communities to hopefully stop this from happening. And anybody that knows my, that follows my Facebook and Twitter knows I've been very vocal about this being far more than just guns. As we spoke about last week, without getting back into it today, just go read my Facebook and my Twitter pages, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is a much bigger problem than guns or mental health. This is a very complex issue that must be tackled now if we don't want these types of horrific events to continue to happen. And it's, uh, like I said last week, it's a continued theme almost in the – 37 episodes we've recorded. We've had to cover countless amounts of these tragedies. And uh, it's almost like, you know, we don't want that kind of uh, show preparation. You know what I mean? The constant uh, in memoriams, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible, but you know, this is what is going on. But I got to get your, your thoughts here on the, the crisis actors. And obviously that has been a huge part of the last uh, week. And whether it's this Daniel Hogg, who has been front and center, or it's the small group of children that have been used as the spokespeople for Parkland, Florida. Uh, what do you think about the crisis actors, Shane? Do you buy into the fact that they are employed for this tragedy? Uh, we know crisis actors have been used, but in this specific instance, what do you kind of do? Are you buying into the, uh, the theory that they're being used right now? No. I think you, it just so happens that you've got some very articulate, intelligent young people 
that have been involved in a horrific event. Uh, that said, when I say young people, and I don't mean this in a negative term, but I can tell you when I was 16 or 17 years old, I was far less worldly than I am today. And when I was in high school, I was involved in the World Affairs Council and gave speeches to some pretty outstanding groups of people. Uh, but that didn't scratch the surface of what I would come to learn in the world. Uh, but this is the nature of the Internet. You know, so you have somebody on, uh, like Mr. Hogg, and there's a happens to be a video or two of him involved in something else on YouTube or whatever else. Now you have this jumping on, there's a conspiracy. He's a, a, a crisis actor or whatever else. What people had failed to understand is that in Mr. Hogg's case, he's the son of a retired FBI agent. So I'm guessing that this kid was born and raised into, much like I was with my dad uh, in the military, a, uh, an atmosphere, excuse me, a culture, if you will, excuse me, because hiccups, a culture, I'm sure Mr. Hogg was, was raised in a culture of loving his country and uh, having an under, a greater understanding than, say, an average 16 or 17-year-old would. So, no, I don't buy that there's, uh, uh, you know, crisis actors or whatever digging in and trying to create conspiracy theories but I do believe there is a, an element on the internet that is willing to jump on that and say, see, here you go. This guy didn't go to school here. Um, but it's the insanity of the internet, which begs all the more reason for what I said earlier. Don't just watch a video on the internet or a link on the internet and then click on it and say, start commenting on it. Point an example. Today, uh, there, we, uh, I've got a huge thread of guys that uh, interact on the internet and we, we throw emails back and forth and replies back and forth. And somebody had sent an email about, uh, let me think of the name of it. It was the Trump Congressional uh, Reform Act of 2017 or something like that. And it sounded wonderful. As you read down the list of the things that he was that, that was on this list, it sounded fantastic. Um, but I took a few minutes to do some research and quickly ascertained that this was a bullshit email that was based off of an interview that Warren Buffett had given some years ago. And so I reported back to the email thread that un, uh, unfortunately, even though this information sounds fantastic, it's bullshit. And, and explained to them and then provided the link. Um, you know, you can't just take whatever information you have on the Internet. I read it here, and therefore it must be true. Uh, you've got to be even more so than I was as a kid growing up with ABC, CBS, and NBC, three networks, and maybe the local newspaper, four pieces of information. Today we have the average person has hundreds, if not thousands, of pieces of information at their fingertips. And if you're not intelligent enough, skillful enough, 
diligent enough to dig through that and try to figure out which is real, which is bullshit. And to me, it goes to the heart of what is fake news, that there's so much information out there. It's so easy to uh, uh, manipulate based off of just the header. I'm NBC News, I'm CBS News, I'm ABC News, I'm CNN, I'm Fox News. And therefore, you should believe every single thing I tell you. Uh, I know better. And yet, I think the vast majority of the American population yet does not know that. And uh, as back to your original question with crisis actors, although we know this has happened in other places, I have not yet seen evidence to suggest that this is definitely happening in Florida. And because the nature and heinousness of what has transpired there, I can't dig into that. Now, if if some more information comes out, I'll do additional uh, research and dig into that. But me personally, speaking for Shane Douglas, the information that I've seen based off of Mr. Hogg having a YouTube video where he seemed and his friends seemed to be a bit disrespectful to a a lifeguard on a beach, as much as that turns me off, it doesn't lend validity to he's a crisis actor. And so uh, to date, I've seen no evidence of that. And I think it does a disservice to the overall argument and discussion of what exactly has happened here and how best can we fix it. If anything, it detracts from that and muddies the water and makes it more difficult to find a real solution. It's uh, it's amazing the amount of footage, the amount of, uh, you know, quote facts people can throw at you these days because, you know, this, for this young man, Daniel Hogg, I mean, his whole life was put on blast in, within one day. And uh, he's made the media rounds. And, yeah, like you said, maybe it's just a case of a very articulate young guy um, and a group of articulate young people. Um, I know that might be hard to believe based off of uh, wrestling fans that are around that same age that we've, we've heard a lot of chatter from. So there are some yeah. intelligent young people out there, but um, it's a shame where it's been, you know, just dissected. And uh, whether or not it's true or not, obviously I can't say yes or no. Uh, we can have our own opinions, but uh, it's just crazy how far it's gone because it, uh, it took on a life of its own at the end of last week. What do you, I mean, just listen to this conversation we're having. You know, we, we've got a podcast <laughs> yeah, where we're talking about some pretty intense information and, 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 and dissecting it and having uh, declared up front that we do diligent research into the information that we're digging into. And yet, even to us, there are question marks about the information we're discussing. So think about the average American sitting out there who came home from work today, working 8, 10, 12 hours, trying to decipher whether or not the piece of information they're getting on whatever fake news outlet they're getting it from, if it's true. And so you, you, you can begin to see how, how quickly this can get mundied up. It, it's a real mess. And it goes back to how many times the, the, you and the listeners have heard me say the phrase fake news this goes to the heart of it. 
No, I think every American out there, I don't question for a second, every American's looking for the truth. But what is the truth? The truth is based on facts. They're not the facts that you tell me they are or I say they are. They're facts based on facts. Facts are unwavering and, and they're irrefutable. But today, in turn on the internet, you can find facts validating that aliens are landing in my backyard right now. And hmm. therein lies the problem with the internet. That's one problem. And there's like 10 billion problems. And the internet, um, we know from the past election, uh, emails played a big part in the election and uh, and things getting destroyed. But we've talked about memos, Shane. We've talked about things that are going to be unearthed. And it seems like uh, now it's getting even crazier. So lay, lay some information on us about the developments with the, uh, with the shift memos and, and everything that's coming out. Uh, I'm hearing the word dossier thrown out again. I mean, is this stuff ever going to go to bed? <laughs> I mean, are we, is this just going to continue in, the, in a vicious cycle for the next two and a half years? Yeah, yeah, apparently. Uh, because, again, facts take no basis. So, you know, for, we had the Nunes memo, what, two weeks ago, and then we had the Grassley and Graham memo that came out and largely verified the information that was in the Nunes memo. Uh, if, <laughs> if, if you're not up to date on this, if you're listening right now and you're not familiar with anything we're talking about, the Nunes memo or the Grassley-Graham memo, I would say please take 30 seconds to, 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 to Google them. And if you haven't and you're not willing to take that 30 seconds, then you should turn your, your uh, uh, speaker down right now and not pay any attention because you're so far out of the loop. But uh, the Democratic memo came out Saturday. I was in Batavia, New York, at the Batavia Downs for a great event that we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, had Dominic Tanucci with me. At the moment that these were released, and I couldn't walk away from the television because everybody knows I'm, I love politics, but the fact that the memo had finally been released. Now, what, what's important to state up front here is that at no point did anybody in the Democratic side ever say they didn't want this released. At no point did President Trump ever say he didn't want it released. Uh, and yet... It was held up for a bit when it was given to President Trump. The way the process works, as the House Intelligence Committee, they, as powerful as they are, they don't have the authority to unclassify or declassify information and release it. They can suggest to the president that they think this piece of information should be declassified and thereby released to the public. And that's the process uh, the Nunes memo and the House Intelligence Committee majority took, and President Trump read it and agreed and released it. Then out came the Grassley, uh, the Grassley-Graham memo from the Senate that largely verified all the information in the Nunes memo. In fact, the Department of Justice and the FBI said in both cases, there was no unfactual information in either memo. Now, that is important. Hold it off to the side, because if the FBI and the DOJ is both saying 
and the information that they don't want released, but there's nothing unfactual in anything that's being released. Now comes the, the, the Democratic memo, which was authored by uh, uh, Adam Schiff, California Democrat. And before it even got to Trump's desk, he was saying things, he, he was sort of projecting and saying, if the president redacts any of this information, then there clearly must be a political intent. And sure enough, a certain number of days later, President Trump sends it back and says, redo it. Uh, there's too much information in there. Now, understand, for those that don't understand how the government operates, classified information is very sensitive. You wouldn't know that from the Hillary Clinton email scandal. But based off of <laughs> classified information, if you have a classification to read classified information and you willingly or even unwittingly give that information out, you're going to be held to a legal standard that few of us Americans understand. Um, so President Trump sent it back. And the reason being that there were several pieces of information in the Democratic memo that were highly classified and highly sensitive, therefore dictated that the president or the FBI or the DOJ or somebody redact them, black them out, uh, hold them back from the public. And that then allowed Adam Schiff and the Democrats to scream politics. See, well, the difference was the Nunes memo was four pages long. There were no sources cited in the Dennis and the Nunes memo or the Grassley Graham memos. Well, I'm sorry, in the Grassley Graham memos there were and had to be redacted, uh, and we saw that in the redaction. Uh, if you if you're not familiar, again, Google the Grassley Graham memo. Uh, but in the Nunes memo from the House, there were no sources cited that needed to be redacted, and therefore it uh, was released en masse in toto, uh, in, its, in its total form. And now the, the, the shift memo comes out and has these redactions, and, and then ultimately after a thorough going back and forth, is released, and here's the get-go from this. The If you listen to the fake news outlets, they'll tell you, see, this, there's nothing here. They've now proven that the Nunes memo is invalid. Uh, there's no, no reason to believe that there was anything improper, so on and so forth. And they base that off of a footnote, a footnote in the Adam Schiff memo that says, and I'm not speaking verbatim because I don't have it in front of me, but says that this was taken from a political source. And that was then taken to the FISA court as a, uh, a piece of information to obtain a FISA warrant, uh, the most difficult warrant to obtain in the country. Uh, to then spy on a guy named Carter Page, who was loosely associated to the Trump campaign and therefore gave the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, the intelligence apparatus 
of the United States of America the right to then listen into uh, uh, dabble into and pay attention to with all their apparatus, their apparatus to the to the Trump campaign. Now, why that's important? Uh, again, there's so, so much information I'm trying to keep straight here in my head. Uh, the reason that that's important is that in a footnote stating that this was political in nature, that the Steele dossier was obtained from information that was political in nature, I would contest that that is a little bit different than saying in a highly contested, hypercharged campaign, as the last presidential campaign was, that that is the same thing as saying to the FISA court, by the way, FISA judge, this information was obtained from Hillary Clinton, paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton, funneled through a law firm in Washington, D.C. A footnote stating that this was political in nature hardly suffices to give you in the midst of that hypercharged campaign, the taste of what that really is. It would be tantamount to being in a street fight, fighting for your life, and then saying, by the way, the information you've gotten in this fight was charged in this way or that way, but we can't name a name or say where the source of the information came from. And in the midst of a U.S presidential campaign. In, in America, there is no higher office. To suggest that this was not important or noteworthy to mention to a FISA court judge in obtaining this warrant to spy on a political candidate that, oh, by the way, the information comes from the opponent of that candidate is a farce. It's a joke of fucking epic proportions that anybody can see through if they don't have a partisan bone in their body. Uh, now, when you look at this and you say, you know, it, it, for, for those, of, like I've said before, for those of my friends on the other side that think there was no big there there and that that footnote sufficed in answering the FISA court's uh, information. Ask yourself right now if in two years from now you would feel comfortable with President Trump doing the same thing to the Democratic candidate in 2019 and then putting in a footnote that it was merely, even though they know it was Trump doing it and Trump's FBI and Trump's DOJ doing it, if they felt comfortable saying merely political in nature without naming Trump, who was running against that candidate at the time. This doesn't pass the stink test. And uh, that the Democrats, Adam Schiff included, are out there trying to defend this, should tell America exactly what the Democrats are uh, made up of and what the party now has become. This is absurd. Absurd. Ray Charles can see what's going on here. This is so absurd. 
It's the wrestling swerve. Every time you think it goes one way, there's a swerve and it goes the other way. So it's that classic story. It's just that there's continuing development. So what are your biggest takeaways well, well, from, from everything? Well, my, the, the first thing, I, and I forgot to add in, in my last comments, was when Donald Trump Jr. was uh, testifying uh, to the House Intelligence Committee, in real time, there was information being leaked to the New York Times and the Washington Post. In real time, as he was giving his testimony behind closed doors to the uh, House Intelligence Committee. Now, what is noteworthy about that is there was one person who kept dismissing himself from that hearing. His name was Adam Schiff, who kept getting up during the midst of this uh, uh, testimony, sworn testimony, by the way, kept getting up and leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. Multiple times he left this, and the New York Times and the Washington Post were printing in real time what Donald Trump Jr. was testifying to in the House Intelligence Committee. Now, this moron comes out and says, wasn't me. Don't know what it was, but it wasn't me. Now, I ask you, if, if the three of us were in a meeting and hearing important information, and I kept getting up and leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back, and information that the three of us were hearing in real time was being disseminated to national news outlet agencies. You wouldn't look at me with a hairy eyeball? Could have been either two of you because you weren't on your cell phones, and those cell phones were forbidden by law into those meetings. No electronics were allowed in those meetings, and yet this information was coming out in real time. And now Adam Schiff will ask America to believe him and his memo and what he's writing as scant as the information in that memo is, and as controversial as that information is, just trust him because his name is Adam Schiff. And don't worry about that meeting, that hearing where all this information was leaked out that I kept dismissing myself from. Is it coincident? Could it be coincidental? Maybe on a million to one chance, there's a scant piece that it could be by chance somebody else but in my experiences in life if you're the guy that's getting up and dismissing yourself from that meeting multiple times in real time the new york times and the washington post are disseminating that information i find that completely hard to believe and you know again for people listening to this podcast I would urge you to go back and investigate anything that I'm telling you about. When Donald Trump Jr. was, in, was uh, uh, answering questions to the House Intelligence Committee in closed doors, meaning classified, and this information was being disseminated to the New York Times and the Washington Post in real time. There was only one person leaving the room with repetition. His name was Adam Schiff. 
and now he's asking you to buy this memo with all the holes that it has that I've mentioned and asking you to whole whole meal just buy what he's telling you knowing his history i don't see any sensitive adult can believe that this guy looks like a fucking moron to me from top to bottom and it would be like charles manson telling me to trust me with your kids uh to believe this guy i don't buy it haven't bought it and won't buy it it doesn't pass the stink test and until somebody can show me the possibility that somebody else was leaking that information in that real-time meeting that nobody else left, I'd say Adam Schiff is the finger to point at and say he's the culprit in releasing that information. He's violated his classification clearance, and it should be repealed immediately. But again, I urge you to go back and do your own due diligence. Don't take my word for it. Go back and research it, Google it, dig into it. If what I'm telling you is bullshit, call me a liar. If if not, then look at Adam Schiff and call him a piece of shit. Adam Schiff is kind of that chicken shit heel, you know, the uh in in wrestling terms, he's like the uh the little gnat, if you will. But, uh, you know, if I could just change gears a little bit and go a little bit into the wrestling world. Chad kind of hinted at it earlier, and then you kind of mentioned it again. That was Batavia, New York, Dominic Tanucci, Al Snow, Jimmy Hart, whole group of bandits up there. What happened this weekend? Dominic Tanucci, who actually, looking at pictures on Twitter, looks younger than ever somehow. <laughs> it, it's I don't know what it is, or if I'm just getting older, but... As I keep looking at, like, Jimmy Hart on Saturday night. Jimmy Hart hasn't changed one damned iota since I met him. I don't know if he's found the fountain of youth or whatever, but if so, Dominic must have also found it because Dominic just turned 86 years old, 86 years old. And I would urge anybody to look at those videos, the pictures online or the videos online from Batavia in New York and looking at Dominic and ask yourself, does he look like he's 86 years old? Uh, sharp as a tack, and <laughs> made me work my ass off the whole time driving up there and back because he kept pressing me for information on this and that and everything else. Uh, but it was just a fantastic time. You know, to take Dominic up there with me, uh, aside from being that young kid that learned from this legend, and built a career off of that to see the fans coming up to Dominic at the merchandise table and interacting with Dominic and saying something on the lines of, I mean, I saw you wrestle so-and-so in, in Buffalo, New York, or in Niagara Falls or in Pittsburgh or Rochester, New York. And my dad took me, I mean, there were these, one story after the next, after the next, after the next. And to see the excitement on the fans' faces in meeting Dominic uh, was so cool to me because aside from the kid that learned from him a long time ago, uh, to see that the fans still remember the contribution that Dominic Deducci made to wrestling, whether they were a young child at the time or whatever, you could see it in their eyes when they came up to meet him that they 
completely remembered it, and they were reliving that experience, whether they went with their mom, their dad, both, uh, their friends, but they remembered this legendary name named Dominic Tanucci. And I saw somebody online post something about uh, today, uh, legendary wrestler and trainer. Stop right there. Dominic was a legendary wrestler long before he was a trainer to do stunt those kids named Mick Foley and Shane Douglas. Uh, he had a wonderful time. And for me, that made it all worth it. You know, the, the people from Batavia Downs and, and at the casino there in New York, the fans, the wrestlers that were there, uh, they all understood what and who Dominic Danucci is. And to see that, as his student, uh, really warmed my heart. And even more heartwarming was to see how Dominic responded off of that, um, that he was humble and he was thrilled to see the fans' response to that. Because, you know, as you walked in these shoes, if your name is Dominic Danucci for the last 60 years, you know, you just become adept and used to understanding what Dominic Canucci is. But at the end of your career, after that's ended, and now you hear fans coming up, one after the next after the next, asking for a picture, asking for an autograph, telling you stories about when they first saw you wrestle or last saw you wrestle. That's something that takes on a different life, and it takes you sort of out of your own shoes and gives you a chance to sort of peruse and look at your own career. And for Dominic, as his student, and as somebody who loves him very much, to see him getting that feedback was so damned cool to me that uh, uh, I look forward to taking Dominic to, to shows me in the future. This week I'm going to be in Toledo. Dominic will be with me, and at WrestleCon this week, uh, this coming year in April, Dominic will be with me, and I look forward to seeing that same kind of feedback from the fans because it's so awesome to see for Dominic's sake. Pretty cool to see the uh, level of respect for you know an old legend. You never know with some of the fans nowadays. Like uh, I'll go on Twitter and I'll go through. You know, the timeline, and, and I'll see wrestlers kind of reacting to fans and fans ripping on the wrestlers and, and the wrestlers kind of fighting back. Are you kind of, um, I don't I wouldn't want to say like sick of it or anything, but is it kind of weird to see kind of the, the fans kind of almost have too much power on social media and the wrestlers kind of falling into that trap? Well, I think so. If you don't know how to respond to them, I, my experience with the fans is, you know, yeah, you'll have your trolls. Uh, that's in any any genre. But if you're the real deal and you are what the fans believe you to be, then more times than not, you're not going to have that same kind of problem because if somebody chimes in and says, well, Dominic Tanucci wasn't this or wasn't that, that you know, for the trolls, then you're going to get a bunch of fans coming and say, are you fucking crazy? Dominic Danucci is a five-time world tag team champion. Dominic Danucci is a former heavyweight champion. 
Dominic Canucci is a silver medalist in the 1956 Olympic trials. Dominic Canucci trained Mick Foley and Shane Douglas and on and on and on and on. So they sort of get shot down in their own, uh, you know, in their own bullshit. But this in a nutshell goes back JP to what I've said all along that the internet gives, you know, look, I'm an idiot in a million ways, but there are certain things that I know a lot about politics being one of them, the wrestling business being another. And so if you're going to take umbrage with something that I say, doesn't mean that I, because I stepped on your toes, if you're on the left and I've said something you don't like, that's to be expected. But if you're going to take attack, something that I've said and say, you're wrong. And you said this and this and this, and you're wrong. Don't expect me to just kowtow and roll over and say, well, you're right. You're a troll and I can't fight back. Um, But this is the problem with the internet is like I've said before, when I take my car to the mechanic to get fixed, he charges me a very nice hourly sum a sum that I would much rather not pay, uh, the cheapskate that I am. But because I don't know how to fix that car when it won't start or it's making a funny noise, I pay him that handsome salary because I don't know how to fix it. The problem on the Internet is when somebody comes in and says, Shane Douglas is full of shit about this particular point in wrestling, You're listening to somebody who's never strapped a pair of boots on, who's never run the roads, who certainly hasn't spent 39 years in that industry. And so in the overall pantheon, if you're going to take somebody's word for it, here's Joe Blow, who's just a fan who's watched wrestling for since he was five. Or here's a guy who has not only watched wrestling since he was three, but then sought to make his break in that industry and made that break in the industry and endured that industry and succeeded at that industry for 39 years, ask yourself which of those two you would be, you would ask, you would think is more believable. But the problem is the internet doesn't put a rating on it. They don't say, well, this is Shane Douglas talking He's very believable because he's done all these things. And here's Joe Blow, who started watching wrestling two years ago and has never strapped boots on, etc. And he's not as believable. When you click on the Internet, everybody's equal. So Joe Blow and Shane Douglas are completely equal in the eyes of the Internet when you click on a link. And therein lies the problem with the Internet. Funny thing is, we interviewed Dr. D. David Schultz uh, about a week ago, and I know we talked about it briefly uh, on this show. That uh, you know, we had him on. We got a couple of uh, good tidbits from you. you. He was the main event on your debut, and and little things like yes. that. But it was funny. Some of the fans, they're so dumb and they're so clueless. They kept saying, "Oh, he's that guy famous for saying that uh, he wasn't booked." They thought it was Dennis Stamp. It's like, man, some of these fans are so <laughs> bad and. So clueless and so dumb, but I just wanted to mention Dr. D with you because there's so much about his career that, you know, did he get blackballed? Did he get screwed? Did he get uh, told to, um, you know, 
slapped John Styles in the face? Was he really set up by Vince? I just kind of wanted because we didn't really get into too much last week. I just want to kind of get your view on it. Do you think that Dr. D. David Schultz was blackballed from wrestling? The story that I had always heard back then and completely ubiquitous throughout my career. I heard it from D. David Schultz at that initial show that I was at, and I've heard it consistent since that he was told by Vince McMahon to slap that. He he had no idea. Remember, back in this time, John Stossel was an unknown entity. He wasn't some nationally or internationally known reporter uh, that uh, David Schultz had maintained then and every story version of the story I'd heard since was that he had been told that this reporter would be coming into the dressing room and asking questions and if he should step over the line of kayfabe, put him in his place. Well, as you interviewed him, you could tell even at his age now, and I'm sure he's getting up there, David Schultz is a salty dude, a guy that can take care of himself. And if you're going to tell him as a promoter, if this smartass gets out of line, straighten him up. Well, to a guy like David Schultz, <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty clear message. And uh, you know, and, and remembering it both from the point of view of a kid seeing that on 2020 back when I was a young, young kid, long preceding my entrance into the business. Then later meeting David Schultz. And since then, hearing this story over and over and over again, I believe that David Schultz did exactly what he was told to do. Otherwise, I don't think David Schultz would have even been standing there or giving a shit about this guy named John Stossel in the hallway in Madison Square Garden. Weird with Dr. D. I mean, you hear like the different rumors and Dr. D, obviously, we talked to him about it. You know, uh, there was a rumor that he had a problem with Mr. T. He kind of debunks that. There's an old story that Piper says that Dr. D basically used to punk out Vince in in the locker room and that uh, basically that could have led to and Vince felt disrespected by the guy. Uh, There's a story that Hogan was scared of of David Schultz. All different things kind of uh, fell together all at once. Do you think that Dr. D, if you're Hulk Hogan, is that, is that a guy to be scared of? Or if you're Piper, is that a guy you're nervous about or scared of? Are you fucking kidding me? Go go back and watch Schultz, Schultz videos. I mean, Schultz was a badass. And if you were looking to transition the industry from wrestling as it was, they're com- completely two different universes. You know, fans have always heard me talk about sports entertainment and professional wrestling. Two very, like talking about a lion and a tiger. Two very different species. Um, That you go back and look at Dr. D. David Schultz. Uh, Was he the greatest wrestler in history? I, I don't know if I'd go that far. Far from it. But he was one tough dude. That was clear. And I think he, there was definitely, if I were a promoter, 
and booking a guy like David Schultz at that time, I'd certainly consider him to be using today's vernacular or for the last generation, a loose cannon that I couldn't control. And if I can't control you and you're going to go into the ring with my guy and you might beat the shit out of him, yeah, you would definitely play a concern to me. And, uh, you know, looking back on it as a fan that grew up watching David Schultz and then somebody in the business and learned the industry that I learned since 1984, uh, I don't know that, uh, that David Schultz is somebody that would not concern me if I were a promoter. So, yeah, I, I fervently believe nothing against any of the guys you mentioned. David Schultz was as close to the real deal as I would think you'd find in professional wrestling. And he said something interesting because I've never heard this before. And I just love how he has a different take on things. And, you know, you're not going to get a, a BS answer from him. He said that Roddy Piper was a terrible worker and he was not legit tough and that he could kick Piper's head, you know, different things like that. Have you ever heard anybody else say that about Piper? I mean, I mean Dr. D is such a, a wild card, like you said, like Sister Lou Cannon. He says things you don't even think of. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody, I'm, I'm sure you hear different things about every wrestler from every generation. Um, but, uh, you know, each of us comes to this industry from different standpoints. And, you know, is this one tougher than that one? Who knows? The only way to find that out is to put those two guys in the ring together. Um, I, I saw that um, that Schultz had talked about, you know, him having, you know, what he said was 15 or 20 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes, you know, per show, whatever. Uh, I don't think it was that much. But that's certainly going to help Roddy Piper get over. Uh, no question about it. But that Roddy had subsequently over the years and over the decades supplanted that with some pretty damn good performances, I think speaks for itself. Um, you know, if you said, you know, well, taking Shane Douglas, if you didn't give him the time to talk in the promo, would he be as over as he was? That's a, a question mark that nobody can answer because not, none of us can go back in time and answer that. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, Shane Douglas was given the, the the microphone to talk over those years. But the thing with Roddy Piper to remember is that he had proven himself over not a day or a week or a month or a year. He had proven himself over decades in professional wrestling to be what he was proven to be. Now, does that mean to say he was tougher than Schultz? No, not at all. But it also doesn't mean that what Schultz said about him is true. You know, at any given time in a wrestling promotion, you have 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 personalities running concurrent to each other. And the promoter is trying to figure out which of these guys is the best to go with, which against. Um, I have my own personal opinions on what happened with Schultz. I think most fans do. And I think most fans can see pretty clearly what happened to Schultz. But to then somehow make that leap that Roddy Piper wasn't somehow deserving or was given something, I think 
are two different things, like trying to compare compare apples and oranges. Uh, Roddy Piper proved over the long haul that he was capable of being a draw and being a compelling character. And, you know, we can all go into the what-ifs and could-have-beens and would-have-beens, but taking nothing away from Schultz, Roddy Piper was a draw. Yeah, that was a shocking one. I, I got to say, I was uh, my my jaw was kind of on the floor when he said that because we had asked a question about Hogan, and he I think the question was, would he have maybe taken the Piper spot had he not been let go in the WrestleMania build up, blah blah. And he just went on the whole thing about Piper. But I just I want to get into this too because uh, kind of running out of show time, but I, I got to bring this up. I was doing a little research over the weekend. Uh, looking at this very, very interesting YouTube page that was called Pro Wrestling Rarities. And I saw a little little bubble pop up on the bottom, and it was a franchise. And it said, Franchise Shane Douglas versus Just Incredible. And it was from 2004. So I clicked the link, and I put two and two together that Shane – I hope that you're going to be entertained by this, uh, this little story. Now, I'm building it up, but I'm going to hand it over to John. This match – has major Triple Threat Podcast historical implications because it is the uh, uh, September 1st, 2004, Jersey All-Pro Wrestling Ring of Honor Collision Course from Woodbridge, New Jersey at the Woodbridge Armory. So I'm going to hand it over to John here, and John can kind of explain the, the background of it. But Shane, you didn't know it, but the genesis of this show started all the way back in 2004. Well, basically, I've been friends with PJ, just incredible, about 15 years or so, and we used to travel the roads together, if you will, locally in uh, New Jersey, yep. New York, Pennsylvania area, and we used to basically, you know, I would quote-unquote carry his bags, you know what I mean, like uh, Triple H yeah. quote-unquote carried Shawn Michaels' bags. So, you know, we'd get to the arena, I'd literally physically carry his bags in the arena, we'd, we'd go and we'd, we'd hang out and stuff, so there was a Jersey All-Pro, the Collision Course show, PJ was wrestling you that night, and I used to always bust his ball saying that, you know, he was ECW champion when ECW wasn't as popular, you know, wasn't as good, you know, uh, the franchise, <laughs> the real champ, just, you know, totally bust his ball. So when we yeah. were backstage, he's like, oh, do you want to meet the franchise? I said, yes, definitely. I didn't have anything really to sign, so I just had a piece of paper. You signed, you know, uh, very funny, you know, you got your ass franchise. I'm better than, you know, just incredible. Uh, you know, you signed it for me. It was awesome. So uh, PJ goes, no, he goes, he legitimately says to me, like, seriously, that you were better than me. And then, you, you know, you were joking with me saying, you know, I really was. And, you know, we were just joking and stuff like that. So as we go on through the night, you wrestle PJ, you win. Good, good match. Um, yeah. He ends up cutting his hand on the on the guardrail. So I remember that. He, yeah. So he, he, he couldn't close it. He's bleeding. He basically had to wrap it with a towel. So he, you win. The match is over. He's still bleeding. He can't manage to whatever. You come up to me. This is, I don't know, three hours later, two hours later. You pat me on the back. You remember my name. I, I remember this vividly. It was crazy. You were like, hey, John. I said, uh, yes, uh, yes, Francis. He goes, make sure you take uh, PJ to the hospital or something because he can't get that hand closed. And I'm thinking to myself, well, screw him. I go, Francis Shane Douglas just remembered my name from three hours ago. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up uh, he ended up gluing his hand like shut, and then it ended up being fine. You know, it, it was okay. But I just remember that vividly. I was like, "That's so funny." And then in the car, he's like, "Oh, he's like, what are you gonna do for my hand?" I was like, 
PJ, like the franchise, who we just said is a better champion than you. I go, he remembered my name. I go, screw you. I mean, we're, we're done with you. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad you, you know, you, you've never done, in, in fairness to everybody listening, you've never told me that story before, right? Nope. Nope. First time. I, I Yeah, and I, I do remember that night. I don't specifically remember you. I remember talking to somebody about that, and I remember being concerned about his hand. Uh, but that is, in essence, what our business is supposed to be about. It, you know, when we say kayfabe, for the fans out there that think they understand what kayfabe means, it's not about it's real or it's fake or it's predetermined or whatever else. It's about us going out in front of the audience and performing what the audience wants to see. If the fans want to see just in this case, just incredible kick my ass or me kick his, whichever way, um, whatever it is, the, the narrative that the audience wants to see, we quickly ascertain that on a professional level in the ring between me and Justin. But beyond that, uh, at the end, like, you know, not to be over cliche, but, at the end of the day, when you're quantifying what this business is, here comes my my friend uh, uh, PJ Polacco, and his hand is cut pretty significantly. That significantly enough for me to be concerned. At that point, the franchise and just incredible characters go out the window, and it is. John makes sure PJ takes care of his hand. And, you know, that is in essence what the business is about. It's not about us exposing our innermost secrets to the, to the, to the audience or our biggest fuck ups to the audience, or we're all human beings. Like every one of you is a human being with all the attributes and all the detriments that you bring to the table, that's the same thing professional wrestling is. We are a live uh, theatrical event that is bringing you, trying to bring you your money's worth. And your money's worth being in my estimation is to help you forget about that nine to five job, that next big bill that's due that you're, husband is a jerk or your wife's a jerk, your kid is sick, whatever the case may be, when you walk in that building, professional wrestling, like any good entertainment genre, should help you forget about the travails of life. And that has nothing to do, like, you don't gain or lose if I say, ah, fuck, just incredible PJ Palaco's hand. That that's backstage. That's off the camera and away from everything else. The fact that the two of us went to the ring that night and entertained the audience, and then one of I turned it around. I'm sure uh, PJ would have said the exact same thing to you if my hand had gotten cut. And that, to me, the truest sign of a professional, as to as it compared to you know, an unprofessional or somebody who doesn't understand or doesn't give a shit. That's what our business is built upon. 
I love that you, you know you remember my name. I was definitely in awe of the franchise that night. Obviously, we glued his hand. It was fine. It was that weird guardrail that ROH kind of had, where it was it was the the you know like there would be an ROH metal, almost a metal piece with the logo on it. So I think that's what he cut his hand on. But in that time, and in, in two thousand, early two thousand four, especially. Ring of Honor was really picking up steam. I mean, they were dominating. JPW was still big at that point. Um, TNA obviously was was growing, but there was an interesting vibe to the indie scene. It, it, you may not say it was as popular or whatever people think it is right now, but the crowds were so big then, and they were so you know they were so invested. Do you remember fondly about that indie scene at that point? Did you feel it was emerging? Yeah, no, no question about it. You could see. At, you know, at that point, when you're immersed in the industry like we were, obviously, it's tough to look past next week or next month and see what's coming down the road. But there was an undercurrent that you could tell was anti-WWF, WWE. And all that gave rise to ECW in the first place is part and parcel that gave rise to Ring of Honor and TNA and, uh, you know, all the other indie, indie wrestling companies out there that sort of somehow steered wrestling for a short while in a different direction. ECW veered it for a while. And then when ECW ended up going belly up uh, and, you know, all the stories to the, all the backstories, I should say, that went into that. But there was clearly a need for something else. It wasn't that uh, every fan was just going to go from watching WCW, ECW, and WWF to now just watching WWE because there's nothing else. Uh, Obviously, there was a bigger opportunity, I think, for something else to be offered. And because it wasn't, we've seen, in my estimation and my humble opinion, that we've seen over the last 10 years, 15 years, uh, a constant withering of the audience. Nine years ago, the business was less than it was 10 years ago. Eight years ago, less than nine. Seven, less than eight. Six, less than uh, seven, so on and so forth. And if history holds true, next year at this time, we'll be talking about a lesser audience than we're seeing now. That is a direct correlation, in my opinion, that there is less to be offered to the fans than was at the time you're talking about, where we had multiple different entities out there giving the fans multiple different flavors. When I was in high school, I worked at the Custer stand. Some like vanilla, a lot like chocolate, and some significant number like the flavor of the day. And the, the problem with wrestling now is, It's all vanilla or all chocolate or all flavor of the day. There's no alternative. And so at that time you're talking about, I think, was the beginnings of what would become the the heyday of independent wrestling, that some small company in some part of the country could garner a damn strong audience and make make the WWF blink in response to that. I think that started around that time because A, there was so damned much talent out there. B, there were so many companies out there. C, there were so many fans out there. 
looking for something different, that all those things were going to converge at certain points, and they did in independent wrestling at that time. So many good top guys were around at that point. And just, for instance, just on that show alone, Shane Douglas, Justin Credible, obviously, throw in Balls Mahoney. Then you have guys that were the featured talent, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, John Walters, Slick Wagner Brown, and Dan Moff. So a couple really, really big guys that you may, you know, may recognize some big names there. <laughs> yeah, I heard a few of those guys. <laughs> Hard to believe they were all in one show at one time. Imagine looking back if you were a fan and you had a ticket stub looking at that show and realizing all those guys in one place at one time and then five or ten years later looking back and, and thinking, well, I'm going to see a I'm going to go watch a pay-per-view with Samoa Joe, Ray J. Styles, or Slick Biter Brown. It doesn't matter that they were all in one place at one point five or 10 years before that. Uh, it just speaks again to, to me, what is professional wrestling? What is the industry? We've all come up in this industry. There was a point when all of us didn't know how to lace our boots. There was a point when we all started learning our craft. There was a point when those of us that excelled mastered our craft and then there was a point where we all became draws in the business. Uh, I don't think that paradigm exists anymore. Um, that night walking out of that building, your your uh, memories of the franchise worried about Just Incredible's hand were noteworthy. If you were a writer in the WWE, you'd say, that fucking Shane Douglas, he's a great guy. I'm going to make him a big star. Didn't matter if I knew my craft or not. If you were a writer at that time, you were going to make that happen because. And the business has become less about performance today as com- as opposed to the edict that we got from upstairs that this guy named Shane Douglas should or should not be pushed. And fuck what the fans want. Well, that That's the least part of the, the equation. Um but your story, I think, to me, tells the largest story of what is professional wrestling, what it's always been, and what has been lost in the WWE system. That is, without a doubt. Now, I know Chad has been itching, and I didn't even tell him that I was going to tell you this, but uh, I know he's been itching to talk about a certain member of your past that he's been really kind of, because I usually do a lot of the booking, he's kind of been on my case about it, he really, really wants a certain female, uh, an attractive female from your past that was a, kind of a big part of your career. He really wants her a part of this show. And I said, hey, man, we got to go through Shane. He's trying to snake you right now. What do you think about that? What do you think about Chad trying to snake you? Well, let's see. There was the former Mrs. Bold face, italicized, unlike the former Mrs. Shane Douglas. <laughs> there was the... Uh, ever beautiful Tori Wilson. There was the uh, hyper uh, insane badass beauty queen Lizzie Borden. There was the ubiquitous Francine Queen of Extreme 
So exactly which of these women are you talking about in my past? Let's just say she now has a shirt called the Booby Club, which is odd, <laughs> oddly enough, but it's Francine. What do you think about that? What do you think about uh, – you, have you changed your mind at all about her joining? Well, I'll say it's about the shirt. I saw the shirt being advertised. I've already got mine, by the way, in the mail. But <laughs> be, I, I hope that Francine has her insurance paid up because it's all fun and games until someone gets an eye put out. And then, then everybody's wondering, well, who's going to pay the liability, right? But uh, – Look, it, 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 we, we've talked about this ad nauseum about Franny. Uh, everybody's seen us online. Uh, Franny and I share an incredible history. But this being the realm of the franchise, I just don't see where Franny fits into the to the mainframe here. I mean, this is the franchise show. Franny's going to talk about a bunch of different things, and God knows about what rumors or stories she could tell. But this is the the triple threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas, not the Francine show or the Queen of Extreme show. So I just don't see. I think what's more at work here is you guys are trying to pit me against the Queen of Extreme, and I just don't see a place for that in this show. See now, I think that I'm getting ribbed by the both of you because I have no idea what he's talking about. Because if you recall way, way back in the history of these 37 episodes, uh, one of us, who's not Shane, admitted that he used to have a very, very, very scantily clad Francine pinned to his wall. And it wasn't me. So I don't know who's lobbying for what. <laughs> Look, I mean, Franny's a, she's a, she's a happily married mother of two beautiful children. I'm sure she probably wouldn't even want to be on this podcast. Because it has all things with wrestling and politics. Let sleeping dogs lie. What in the world do we have to gain by having Franny on here? A lot of young men's uh, fantasies. Uh, that, that's probably it. We probably, <laughs> we probably get the hor- we, we're gonna we're gonna nail the horn dog demographic if we grab uh, Francine. What I, just, just a small aside, but I think it's very funny about her. Uh, Inclusion now on Twitter and how active she is. You two are basically neck and neck with just how interactive you are with all your followers. But what I think is funny is that, like, if people share these, like, really, really, like, revealing memes of her or pictures and stuff, and, you know, she's very funny with her responses. I got to say, like, sometimes she's like, hey, you know, thanks. You didn't really want to see that one, but it's just very funny. But, you know, I guess. as is, you know, with the wrestling business, if it's out there, it's immortalized. So uh, Francine with the Booby Club, she's got a lot of new members, <laughs> uh, but there's there's only two important ones in that club. What what young red blooded American or British? I got, I got corrected a lot of times today online. Uh, British or foreign? What red blooded foreign kid hasn't looked at Francine and went, "Wow, <laughs> right." I mean, so that's a a pretty ubiquitous – that that breaks all the language barriers. But it's – if I didn't know better, I'd say I'm being set up that you guys are trying to work an angle to get the franchise to get that beautiful, voluptuous, hardcore, queen of extreme, 
hashtag ECW Diva Francine on here, and I just don't see what I have to gain by that. You know, there there are some stories that, like with Superman, you don't want to find out that Superman had diarrhea one day, or <laughs> Superman that his cape was stuck in the, the the cleaners one day. There are things that the Queen of Extreme can tell that nobody else on the planet would know, not even my ex. Thank God that she could tell, and I just don't see what's to be served here by having her on. Well, you think you're getting uh, blindsided. I think you two are ribbing me, and I, I don't know what John's thinking. He's just pulling this out of left field. So we'll all agree <laughs> or disagree that there's there's more to the story. It's a developing story here, but uh, that's going to be it for this week's episode. We covered a lot of ground. We actually didn't even get a chance to get to the Ask Franchise Anything segment. So next week we'll probably uh, hit a cut, maybe one or two, maybe three, uh, to make up for lost time because uh, the shows have been so jam-packed that we haven't been able to really delve into the uh, the AFAs as much as I think we would love to uh, on the show. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot to talk about. But I just want to get into the plug really quick here. If you like what you hear, you like the show, please subscribe to us in any way you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spreaker or TuneIn Radio or Player FM or iHeartRadio or Google Play or Podbean, however you do it, or Podomatic, however you listen to them, you'll find us on there, whether it's Two Man Power Trip or Triple Threat Podcast. Uh, Download us twice a week, Triple Threat on Tuesday, Two Man Power Trip on Friday. Uh, We're very active on the social media. You can get us, John and myself, at Two Man Power Trip. And you can get Shane at the Franchise SD. And any questions you have for the show, like I said, for the AFA, please email them to thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. I'm kind of thinking in my little brain here of some pretty cool promotion uh, for an AFA, like almost like a highlighted AFA of the week uh, coming up because we, we've neglected it. And I, I gotta, we got to get back to it. But I, I feel like I want to add an incentive uh, for a really, really, really good question. So please get us those immediately to the triple threat pod at gmail.com. We, of course, we've got our TNPT con coming up May 19th. You can get all the information on our website, which is tnptofwrestling.com, as well as find all the information on the triple threat podcast t-shirts, which are available through pro wrestling tees. You can go to pro wrestling slash triple threat podcast to get those. But if you're lazy and you're on our website, just go through the triple threat podcast link. You'll get it there. Very, very easily done. So please go ahead and do that. And Shane, what we like to hear from you every week now is we get a little review of where you were last week. But now let's get a preview of where you're going to be this week as the franchise gets out there in the wild and does his thing in professional wrestling. <laughs> keep keep on grinding at it, right? But this coming uh, weekend, this coming Saturday, I'm going to be up in the great city of Toledo, Ohio. And I will have a certain particular legendary icon true deal real as it gets with me named Dominic Danucci and uh, we're running the roads it's back, taking the franchise back to being a kid again because I'm in a car running the roads with my mentor and genuinely nice guy that the fans are having a great time interacting with so looking forward to seeing everybody up there in, in Dayton Ohio if you're not sure exactly where check out my Twitter account tomorrow have all the information posted there and uh for better, for worse, number 37, number 38 is coming next week. Toledo this coming weekend. 
what, what else can you ask for? You want to be smart, you come here. It's either that or you can listen to the fake news outlets out there or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.